This week on The Business of Lifting Weights, we talk with Gio Rockwell, who runs the 4th Pole Podcast, founder of Mission Gorge CrossFit, and owner of CrossFit Federal Hill and CrossFit Cove. What's going on, guys? This is Dave Thomas. And this is Brian Pritz. And we are here with episode 21 on the business of lifting weights. Today we are joined by Gio Rockwell. Uh, Gio is owner of CrossFit Federal Hill in Baltimore. Um, He is co-owner of CrossFit Cove. And he is also the host of the 4th Pole podcast, which I was fortunate enough to be on a few weeks ago. Um, So Gio's done a lot in fitness. He's um, also owned a gym out here in San Diego. Um, So he has a ton to offer and a ton of a wealth of knowledge to share with everybody today uh, based on his ownership experience. Um, And he's also talked to a lot of cool people on his podcast. So we are very, very excited to have him on today. Um, What's going on, Gio? Not much. Thank you for the uh, kind words in the, in the intro. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, One of the things that, you know, we, uh, Brian and I talking about kind of off air and before is just, the ability that you've had to open up gyms in multiple locations. So I'm really excited to kind of hear some of your strategies that you've been able to adopt on the West Coast and on the East Coast and San Diego people, Baltimore people, um, kind of some consistent methods that have made you successful for both. Um, I think that's going to be really insightful for at least us to hear for sure. Um, So why don't you just give us a little bit of, uh, you know, background, your story, and use it as an opportunity to kind of tell us about the podcast and CrossFit Federal Hill um, in your intro. Awesome. I, uh, I started out uh, back in the day as a physical education teacher here in Baltimore and uh, had a good time. I did that for four years and was just kind of looking for something different, something new. Spent a summer out in San Diego and then uh, when I came back, I kind of made it my goal for that next year to to make it official and move out there. I was still pretty young, probably 26 or so. Uh, so didn't have too much to lose and basically packed up uh, my Civic with everything I owned and uh, headed out to the West Coast to chase the sun and the surf and the sand. Um, <laughs> so it was... Uh, we all do. Yeah, yep. yeah. It was uh, it's an experience I'm sure you guys can relate to. It was, it was a good time. I, I landed out there and a little apprehensive at first ended up at a, a gym in San Diego. Um, man, I'm losing the name. It's in North Park. Um, it'll come to me. But I was basically making smoothies, was a spin instructor and a personal trainer. And it, it, it was it was okay, but I went from teaching with benefits and a salary and my own office and like actual responsibilities to like making a, a a peach smoothie for like the guy who who just finished his workout <laughs> i was like Man, was this <laughs> i know the gym you're talking about <laughs> was this the uh, right decision so uh so from there <laughs> i met a i met a guy ian who was my business partner with crossfit mission gorge and um not to get too detailed in the story but the the owner there was uh I guess fearful that we were kind of branching off and doing our own thing when all we were doing was like training people in the park for like more money. Like when you're a trainer, you you just try to get by with different things and build relationships. So we weren't stealing any clients, but he, uh, he fired my business partner and we were both really surprised and just kind of said, you know what, we should, uh, we should grab a warehouse and just, uh, and do this, this CrossFit thing. It was still pretty new. It was 2009. He had just got, yeah, that that's like almost, I mean, that's not like first adopter, but that's like, right. That's right around then. 
Yeah, it was it was pretty early looking back on it, and uh, I, I was definitely apprehensive. I was, uh, you know, a PE teacher. I had a ACE personal training certificate, like kind of a little things that have been round a little bit more and more based on taking a test where the level one back then was literally a weekend, $1,000 weekend, mm-hmm. um, no test, and then you, you could uh, either just use it to train people or open up a gym. So um, he had great things to say about it, so I went for it. And then uh, we found a, a little warehouse in Mission Gorge. Uh, it took us a weekend to sign the lease because we were so naive, not because we were, you know, really good at reading a lease and, and negotiating. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah, signed off and opened up the, the first gym um, right at the end of 2009 in CrossFit Mission Gorge. At that point, how much did you know about running a business and a gym in general? I knew zero um, about owning okay. the, the, the little experience <laughs> nice. I had. I think it was called Urban Body. Are you guys familiar with that spot? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah urban Body. Um, so I was there for a little bit, tiny bit of experience. Ian had um, had been a manager at another gym, I believe it was in PB, and then um, he worked there for a little while before I I had met him. So he knew like, hey, let's get Mind Body, uh, the member management system, so we can have credit cards run, not collect cash. Um, Besides that, we were like, hey, we want to train people. Like, we want to spread the, the word of CrossFit and, and get people into group classes and have them doing, you know, Olympic lifting and, and running and um, just passionate about that and kind of learned all the business lessons uh, the hard way, like, a- along, the, along the journey. That's awesome, dude. Um, so you mentioned that you were a PE teacher. So obviously you have a very formal physical education background was there any and this is back in 2009 when i think crossfit was much more about um i i i guess i would say higher intensity stuff like was there any apprehension from your background going into the crossfit world which at that point was still kind of an unknown yeah i was definitely apprehensive in the beginning um you know partially because it wasn't around very long and there wasn't a a formal uh test at the end of the weekend like you just kind of went to this thing um Mm -hmm. so i think what saved it for me is that they gave you such autonomy um after you got your level one where it was like use this in the way you see fit almost um not you know this is the way we do it it's the only way kind of like uh during the weekend they're like if hula hooping makes you fit like then we'll be hula hooping um so (laughs) kind of like taking that aspect of it i i really enjoyed where um you know it was easy to get caught up in uh in the the regionals and the the sectionals back then and trying to get to the games Mm -hmm. that was definitely part of it but it was more so taking it and um you know making sure people were safe making sure if it was scalable and adaptable for everybody and um that that's still a barrier that we have today with it for sure. And obviously you've owned multiple gyms and you've, you've kind of climbed your career. So it's very clear that you guys are clearly doing your, you know, your programming right and, and whatever was working for you guys. Um, what, you know, in 2009, kind of like we said, CrossFit was still, still pretty new. Um, what were some of the, the benefits and the disadvantages of going the CrossFit affiliation route back in 2009 for you? The biggest benefit was probably that it gave, I guess, even me, if I were to like be really introspective about it, I haven't really thought about um, it that deeply, but it almost gave me purpose, like I was behind something. And I don't know if that's yeah. a good reason or a bad reason, um, but uh, maybe because I was so young, I was uh, fearful of owning a business and just calling it, you know, 
Geo's gym or something and uh, not having something to stand behind. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that was uh, a good thing or a bad thing, but for me at that time in my life, it gave me um, something or someone else like I felt like was there. But in reality, like <laughs> they didn't care. Like if we didn't make money, like they weren't helping us out in uh, any capacity. So uh, it gave me a little something to stand behind and then a, a, a word for us to spread and then we really were in early so we caught the the fire of Reebok coming on and everything like exploding mm-hmm. so um where now it seems to be a little bit more watered down i think it really helped us back then for sure uh were there were there any disadvantages the biggest disadvantage and i think it's still today is the the intimidation factor and the fact that mm-hmm. you can't get around like what another gym does and uh e glassman's philosophy of the strong will survive is 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 good from the top down but when you're in the thick of it um you know there's just gyms that do things way differently um from not doing a warm-up to just kind of having people come in and do their own thing all the way to writing programming that just doesn't really make sense so Mm -hmm. they have bad experience it becomes intimidating they see something on tv it's like they just kind of shut down crossfit in general um right so yeah that was that was a challenge back then i remember we walked into uh i mean just guerrilla marketing we had no members we had nothing to do but time so we had business cards from vista print that were i mean they were just terrible walking around to local (laughs) local spots like hey we own a business can you come like uh we're in the middle of a little business park and this one of the first places we went into some lady was like oh my god crossfit like no way never trying that you know my sister did it and she like went into this huge story in front of the whole office and we're like two young guys just opened up our business i'm like we walked out of there like wow oh my gosh that that wasn't just no that was like no and i'm gonna tell everybody i know like no way don't go there so um definitely getting over that that rejection and that hump was uh was difficult and still still is today so is that pretty much how you started to grow your gym is basically just going door to door to businesses and talking about it? Right. Cause that's 2009. That's before right. social media has any type of impact on marketing whatsoever. Yeah. Um, we, we just, I mean, we put car flyers on cars, went to businesses and I tell you what, um, that very little of that work, the one thing that was like guerrilla marketing ass that worked were those, uh, lawn signs. Um, like, uh, there's real cheap ones you could just print on both sides and like stick in the ground that you probably get in trouble for having around. Um, yeah. yeah. Those are the only things that people said they saw and came in from like no business. We stopped in. People didn't say, Oh, I heard about you from the boss or this corporate membership. Um, like here's a flyer that from a free week that was on my car. Like none of that. It was just those signs that brought people in. And then, um, from there it was just kind of creating a space that people felt safe in and and the cliche thing of building from within and making them feel comfortable and them telling their friends and building the snowball of people right yeah i forget we talked about that a lot in one of our episodes just how marketing is not always outward pushing but uh often it's just the product that you present and making it as kind of as good as possible and that way people are going to tell all their friends um and I have a question about those lawn signs. Where did you put those lawn signs? <laughs> um, we kept them right around Mission Gorge. I think there was like a park up there. We put them by. Um, yeah, I don't remember exactly. It was it was in our area. I don't think we branched out. I think Ian had one up by his house. Um, 
now the the problem with that would be like if you go a block or two down the way there's probably another uh crossfit gym right next to you that you're kind of infringing on so i don't know if it would uh be the best scenario now but there was no strategic placement to them at all all right so you guys opened you obviously got through the initial extremely challenging part of getting your base level of members um what were some ways that you kind of grew from there um, I've definitely heard of CrossFit Mission Gorge that, you know, we opened in 2011 and I was very aware of you guys, um, when we opened. So what were some ways you continue to grow your gym once, once the doors were opened? I think it goes back to what, what you guys just said. And it's, it's not what anybody wants to hear. Like it wants to be that, that special little piece that like they can go implement tomorrow, but it was really caring for everybody that came in the door and, um, asking them to tell their friends and, and hosting uh, community events and listening to what they had to say. Like, uh, were they beat up? Were they scared? Were they intimidated? Like, what can we do to help them feel better about that? Um, why didn't they come in for a week? Like, were they on vacation? Or is it because they were starting to slip and, and, and fall off? So letting them know that we really cared about them was, uh, was really important. And to your point, I had heard of you guys while I was out there too, and I still regret not like coming over and, and checking you out. I was terrible about that when I first opened a business. I think I was intimidated by what else was going on. Like there was Invictus, CrossFit Invictus was like the the place to try to be, but everybody else who opened up, I was kinda like, Oh man, they're 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 taking market share or something. I didn't really understand the abundance mentality where uh I wish I would have went around and like learned from everybody that was, was doing things differently. I definitely can can relate to that mindset. I think it's it, it's hard because on one end, you know, you're part of this community that's fitness, and you know everybody is in this together to improve people's lives. But on the other end, you know, once you once you create four walls for your business, you have the obligation to yourself to make that successful because you've gone all in on it. You know, like you said, you left a well-paying job with benefits and stability, and so there's this aspect of, you know, you you've got to get yours and survive. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely something that I know we can probably do a better job of too, but, um, I, I totally can understand that aspect of kind of getting tunnel vision on what you're doing. And I, real quick, I, I also think there's a part of it that's like, if you are always looking at what everybody else is doing, then you start to mimic what they're doing and you get good ideas from them, which is great. But if you're not too careful, then you start to be just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of being successful is staying true to who you are, doing your own thing and what, you know, your members are into and staying that course. Yeah, that's a great point. Really, really good thing to remember if you're ever out visiting or looking at other places. So what was the process of, you know, obviously you live in Baltimore now. It's where we're, we're talking to you from. What was the process of you selling your gym in Southern California, going across the country and opening up a new venture? So in year two of CrossFit Mission Gorge, um, my wife, my current wife moved out to San Diego and we didn't know each other, but we were both from the same town. Um, really weird, both from the same place in Baltimore and got connected to nice. mutual friends out in San Diego. So after dating for a little while out there, it was kind of this life decision, um, got engaged. Should we start a family here or kind of move back uh, to Baltimore where our family mm -hmm. is and when we have more support. So we decided to come back here and then it was a matter of selling the business, which was, uh, 
it was hard. It was really hard to tell my business partner. There was nothing easy about it, um, even though the writing was kind of on the wall with me meeting somebody from my hometown and getting engaged. Um, yep. It was a difficult conversation, and I still remember having it exactly where we were. Um, we were in the midst of our second expansion, actually, and um, had moved to from 1,500 to 3,000, and then we're moving to 4,500 square feet. And um, from there, it was just that time for me that I almost felt like I wanted to establish something in Baltimore because a lot of things were coming up over here. And for my wife and I, it was just a good timing to come back. So the process was just me telling him and um, him being in a little bit of shock, um, us sitting down and negotiating and agreeing on a price. And then me not liking then how the negotiations went and then us going back <laughs> to the drawing table and then meeting with an accountant and then meeting with each other again and then getting in a few heated discussions until we finally agreed on a price, um, which was buying me out over the course of two years. And uh, then we got some legal work done and it, it, it all worked out in the end. I, I, I feel like it was it was fair. Hopefully he feels the same way, but it definitely took a toll on the relationship. And um, yeah, we don't communicate much at all um and we were never like good friends before so it's not like oh, i had this amazing friend and i lost him but um mm -hmm. it definitely put a strain on whatever friendship we did build through through building that business yeah did you guys have a buy sell agreement we did not and that was a, a huge mm -hmm. mistake from the beginning um it was uh it was a 50 50 ownership agreement that was all written out but there was nothing in there from us being so naive and young about uh did not really have any guidance from anybody either um, to what happens if uh, if somebody wants to leave. We never really thought about that. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, because you're just so you're so in the day to day. Oh yeah, you're so excited and like you never think that um, you know the sun is shining. You got the building and the shiny equipment. Like the last thing you want to talk about is 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 the hard stuff. But um, it's definitely something I would I would recommend to hash out in the beginning. For sure. Um, so this is crazy to me. So you basically, you said, I'm sure I'm getting the numbers wrong, but I think you said 1500 to 3000 to like 4,500 square feet. So your gym at the time is obviously growing. The momentum of CrossFit is like a bowling ball going downhill. And you said, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> you must've just had like a crazy amount of just internal confidence in your ability to run a gym, in your ability to transfer over skills that you would learn to any demographic and be successful. Um, so what was kind of your thought process from just saying, you know, I'm going to walk away from this and start something else and I just know it's going to be successful? Good question. Um, definitely not super confident. I, I was I was really scared. I think I, I had to. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. There was this driving force of me like uh, – it wasn't homesickness, but it was something about like being pulled closer and back to family and not to get too into it because we had a good relationship, my business partner and I, but you know, it, it was difficult and I'm, I'm sure you guys can relate like two guys owning a gym together. You're going to have a lot of disagreements. Um, and we didn't really have a background, um, per se. I met him right when I got out there. So it was, uh, a situation that ended up being fortunate for both of us, in my opinion, because it could have been like, we didn't really know each other. Like we didn't know each other's family or what, what our backgrounds were and things like that. So, um, it was, it was a combination of me wanting to come home and me thinking like, all right, I need to separate myself and, uh, and want to almost do my own, my own thing, my own way. And I think he felt that way a little bit too. So, um, 
it was a challenge. I was worried the whole time coming back here. I remember driving, um, driving back, excuse me, to Baltimore, and it was an epic trip. We uh, we packed up the car in San Diego. My my wife had a Mini Cooper, so we downsized everything we owned to the Mini Cooper, and then drove <laughs> two wow. people. That's amazing. <laughs> Crazy. It was cool. We drove from San Diego all the way up to uh, up through Canada, and then back down to Baltimore. And it was like three and a half nice. weeks, and we hit gyms the whole time because my wife was in the CrossFit. Really? I was oh, in the that's CrossFit. awesome! So yeah, it was it was cool. Like, um, it, 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 we learned a ton from that trip. Everything from, you know, how do you feel when you walk in a gym to uh, how do people greet yeah. you from the owner to the community? Like, what's the workout like? What's the close closing structure of class like? Um, and I was just constantly thinking about um new things to implement and what I was going to do when I got back here. So that, that was really helpful. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so obviously leaving San Diego, moving to the East coast, you had the idea that you were going to go back and open up another gym. That was kind of your thought process from the start. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know what else I was going to do. I didn't want to go back to teaching. I, I loved coaching people and I really had fell in love with the whole entrepreneur side, entrepreneurial side of running mm-hmm of running a business in a gym. Gio, so talk a little bit about kind of what you learned on that, um, you know, gym road trip. Like what were some of your aha moments, your big takeaways of, I got to make sure we don't do this or I have to make sure we do this. What were some of the highlights of that? One of the big ones that sticks out is, um, how open and welcoming the community is. And I think it comes from the top down, um, through every, affiliate that we went into and um the one i specifically remember was crossfit santa cruz which was one of the f- which was the first yeah gym. that's like the og one it's like where it where it all started and um you know glassman doesn't own it anymore um hollis molly was the owner and every single person came up looked us in a, looked us in our eyes shook our hand and asked us like what our story was and how our day was because they knew we weren't members and that was like a, a steadfast rule there. Like if they didn't do that, then there was like some burpee penalty or they would, uh, I don't know what would happen to them. But um, it was definitely noticed as soon as we walked in there and um, all the way to uh, a gym in Portland where, you know, it was great. People were really friendly to, um, you know, it was you could tell it was maybe just one or two people because they were friendly. And then everybody else was kind of like in their own world, doing their own thing. Um so that was the biggest thing I took away. Like it, it happens from the top down. Like Hollis brought us in. Like we had a little conversation before the workout about how to attack it, why it was programmed, what the goals are, and then a little bit about some outside gym talk. Um, I think it was what they did over the weekend. So it was it was it was how to create a community in a nutshell. In my opinion, is what I learned from from one class there. Awesome. Yeah, over walking into a gym and just kind of uh, hitting the workout and then leaving. Sure. Yeah. And, and on the other side, was there anything that you learned that just like were huge put offs, you know, when you'd walk into a gym that it was just like you could get a vibe or a feeling that they were not doing, you know, well, or they weren't successful. Was it for any specific reasons or were the things that you walked in and you're just like, I don't like this or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, we spent a couple of days in Portland, so we had a few gyms there and I, I don't remember the name. I, I wouldn't say it. I'd feel bad, but it was sure. it was just horrible. It was a huge space. We walked in, um, vividly remember it, being nervous. You know, like I own a gym, owned a gym, mm-hmm. like totally confident with any movement they'd throw out, and um, I'm still nervous. So like I'm trying to feel how other people would feel too, like from never stepping into a gym, 
and um, music was blasting. They were in the middle of doing Murph like on a random day, which is a super like long, grueling <laughs> workout, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, people are running by. The coach doesn't acknowledge us. Just kind of you know is is um, walking with the people or sitting down one or the other. It was just a zero zero um, community feel or commitment or welcoming. I think he said something to us, like, let me grab some waivers. And we waited a solid 10 minutes. He didn't come out of the back. We just left. We just walked out. Um, so it's wow. it's like stories like that that you're like, uh, I don't know if they're still around, how they even survived. But, um, yeah, things like that that stuck out in my head that were like, you just got to create the exact opposite of that experience. I'm sure, obviously, you had owned a gym for two years prior to this trip, so and as a PE teacher, you obviously know what good programming is. Did you notice any? You would you would be in a gym that you knew was successful. Did you did you notice any trends in the programming of that gym um, that correlated to a success or lack thereof? That was hard for me because I I from like the couple of days in I tried to be as non judgmental as possible because I was taking such. Um, a small look small sample yeah of what they were doing so i kind of based it off of how they presented the workout and then how the coach um went over it with us in seattle there was a gym yep. crossfit belltown and um it was our early morning class we got there i mean the gym the feel was like super swanky i think they've been in a box pro magazine one time they were highlighted just everything really matching and looks cool so great feeling when you walk in but more importantly the coach was like super into teaching us how to clean and what to do when we were doing the clean and that was the majority of the day i think it was 40 minutes and then there was a tiny little finisher with the core so one of those things you look at the workout and you're like clean like five sets of three like how fun is this going to be but he made it fun because he was such a good coach and um another one of those things that just in my opinion comes from the top down like you're paying these people 20 to 30 dollars an hour um, maybe a little bit more, but you can't just get lucky with people who are going to be enthusiastic. Like that has to come from, from ownership. So, you know, I just want to kind of ride the momentum of that for a second. Um, what are some things that you look for in terms of hiring for your coaches knowing that? <sighs> yeah, that's one of the, um, the hardest things I think once you overcome that hump of like, okay, I, I'm making some money to pay rent and making money to pay myself. Now it's like, oh man, I got to manage a team. Um, and the, the biggest thing that I look for when I'm hiring a coach is do they have the people skills to be able to relate and read people? Um, so relate to them in a sense of building a relationship and read them in a sense of like, okay, they don't want to go really heavy today or um, I'll try to push them as much as I can. And we can teach them how to run a class, how to do a warm-up, um, the intricacies of any movement. But you really, it is really, really hard to teach all the other stuff, in my opinion. I think the three of us should go into business together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, one of the things we always talk about is, you know, we're not hiring a certification, we're hiring a person. And exactly what you just said, you know, it kind of goes without saying that anybody with an Olympic weightlifting certification or a CrossFit level one, they're going to be able to teach a power clean. But are they going to be able to really put in the effort to get to know this person, to be able to have an adaptable coaching style, to be able to explain the benefits? I just think that there's so much more 
to that coaching decision versus what they have on a piece of paper on workshops or certifications that they went to. And it, it, it sounds like you kind of value that in a similar manner. Yeah, definitely. And what do you guys, this is kind of like a pet project that I haven't talked about much, but I'm really thinking about putting a, a book out there that is all about how to build relationships build relationships as a coach and become a better coach but has nothing to do with movement standards or anything so I've, I've had coaches now for two years there's still things I wish that they would change do you think mm-hmm. that that you is that stuff teachable in in your opinion <sighs> Listen, we're the ones doing the interview here. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, totally I, I off the off the top of my head for me, I don't know, and I I think that a bad person at that can certainly get better at it, but I think there is absolutely an in, an inherited talent that some people have where they're just naturally gifted in that realm. And I don't think somebody without that gift can get to that level. I think they can certainly do a lot better job. Um, but I don't think you can, if if not being able to relate to people is you have zero in that in your body, I personally don't think you're ever going to be amazing at it. But I would kick that over to Pritz. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You can always get better at anything. So I think that you need to have a base level. Um, if you're going to progress to a high level, um, if you will. So um, I do think it's teachable, but like you said, if you're starting from zero, you know, I don't want to say it's not worth trying, but yeah. um, you're going to save a lot of time and energy hiring somebody that is at least halfway there yeah. um, rather than you know hiring somebody that doesn't have that skill. Yeah, and I, th- I think the book idea is awesome. I could definitely seeing that be um, something that created demand because, you know, On our end, we screen our coaches in the same manner that you do. It's all about the person. Um, So I like to think that every coach that we hire has a very kind of high-level intuition already established for themselves. But even still, you know, we're always going over training, ways we can all get better. So I think every single person, even those that are really, really gifted in that realm, everybody constantly kind of needs things to think about, kind of checklists, ways to be introspective on how they can do better. Um, so I think something like that is actually a pretty rad idea. Yeah, I, I think for a book idea that that's awesome in taking somebody who already has some of those skills and just making them better. Um, you know, you can relate that to training where you have two people, one person, their ceiling <clears throat> in terms of how much stronger they can get is much higher than somebody else. So I think that's the same with personality and relating to people. Um, two people might have, um, you know, similar skills, and one person has a higher ceiling to be able to get to in their coaching ability um, in terms of relating to people. So um, I would love to read that book personally. <laughs> same. Awesome. Because I feel like I'm decent at relating to people, but I know that I can get a lot better. Awesome. Yeah, I will. I will continue uh, the project, and I, I totally agree. Even if we can get the, somebody who's good to a little better, and I'm sure you guys have been there before, where you hired somebody, and then you kind of see a couple interactions, and you're like, ah, oh, that's not, that's not what I would have done, or that's not, you know, the person mm-hmm. I hired. Yep. So always kind of um, helping your coaches, and any any type of thing that I can help them to to build relationships with people is is so important. So you moved across the country. Um, you opened up CrossFit Federal Hill, which that's like the PB of Baltimore. 
Uh, that place is ridiculously fun time. I enjoyed it many a time in my early twenties. <laughs> um, so one of the things I'm personally really interested to hear is just some of the strategies that you see as kind of homogenous across East coast, West coast, um, ways that you were able to open, um, CrossFit federal Hill, make it successful and establish it that were carried over from previous ownership. For sure. Uh, yeah, that's a great, and then sorry, sorry. And then in addition, what you did completely differently that you saw to be more effective. Good question too. I, um, it's a great way to describe it. It's, it's a young, like, uh, affluent transient area, like a lot of young professionals in CrossFit in federal Hill. Um, so that helped us with, uh, opening a gym here because they're looking for something to do and you don't have to kind of get over some of the barriers you do with an older population. Um, and I used to live down here. So as soon as I moved back, it was like, all right, I'm scouting, um, the spot for locations. And that was a, uh, a, a hard thing to do that took way longer than I thought moved back in because of price, uh, because of price and availability. So I went from, you know, a suburb in mission gorge where there's kind of warehouse spaces around, um, sure. and had a, a really seamlessly easy thing fall into our lap, like 1500 square feet. I think it was around $1,500. Um, not that big of a nugget. Yeah. Maybe it was a fluid year lease or yeah. it, it was like, you know, no big deal. But here I was uh 10,000 square foot. You don't foot. get $1 a square foot in Federal Hill. Right, right, exactly. So 10,000 square foot space that the landlord was going to subdivide for me, but wanted, you know, three years with the increase and just way more like than I thought um, mm -hmm. it was going to be. So once I kind of overcame a few of those roadblocks and knew like this was the spot and um, the gym, one thing that was really similar was we just started in the park. Um, when I opened CrossFit Federal Hill, I actually had a minority business partner who was a good college friend. Um, so I entered into another partnership back here, which I'm currently a sole owner, and we can talk about that situation too. But we started in the park um, right up the street from the gym and uh, had a little Facebook page. Didn't call it CrossFit, just called it, um, I think, Federal Athletics or something really bland. And uh, we just gave away free workouts. And I think we built that up to like 20 or 30 people. Um, mm -hmm. And it was because I had a network back here. Like, this is where I'm from. I, I knew a lot of people. So everybody was coming out and the um, building was taking way longer to be um, ready for us than expected. Um, typical thing that I was not used to. So... I think we signed the, the lease right around um, September, uh, maybe a little bit earlier in the summer, and we couldn't get in the spot until December. So um started cutting wow. close with the weather. But when we opened, what we did, and I still – I've been hearing mixed reviews about this now, if it's the right thing to do. But we took our prices. Um, they're right around 160 175 right now. We took them to 120 when we opened. And said, um, the first 50 people, you know, get $120 membership across the federal hill coming soon. And within the first week of having that up and live, we had 70 people sign up. Um, wow. Yeah. It was really like yeah. caught off guard. We like really hit the boom. Like Reebok just came in. Like it was like CrossFit was the thing. We're in a young affluent area. So we opened the next week, um, like had our first class and we already had 70 members, which was crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I completely understand what you're saying with you hear mixed reviews on that. But to me, I always just default to you opened up with 70 members. So in my my opinion, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think, you know, Brian and I talk about this all the time, trying to figure out, because we did something very similar. Um, and, you know, we're getting ready to hopefully open a third spot here um, in the winter. So we always talk about, should we do that again? And we just don't know, is it the right thing to do? Does it devalue the brand? Is it is it, you know, more productive to get dollars in the door and people that are going to refer? And I think ultimately we kind of land on, yes, it is. Um, but I think, you know, how important was getting those 70 members to you? Did you see a huge spike in word of mouth based on having that, that base level of membership? Uh, it was huge. It was huge. And uh, it, it, the only reason I guess I doubt that now is because I still have some of those people on the 120, even though kind of our expenses mm-hmm. have gone up, our prices are a little more, but you know, and, and you've kept that price f- for them. And I've, I've had some mentors yeah. and business Good. coaches that are like, Oh, you gotta, you know, move these people up. I mean, I looked them in the eye and I said, the price isn't going to change. Like it's not, sure, it's man. not going to change. Yeah. I think that, that, yeah, that would just ruin the whole vibe in my opinion at the gym. And I, I wouldn't feel right. So yeah, they, they'll never change from that as long as they stick with it. And ultimately I couldn't have asked for a better turnout of, of that many members and the support they've given me over the years. So, yeah, when I talk about it, I feel like it was the right decision in my gut, and that's what you got to go with. Yeah, and I, I would add one more thing to that. Like those people who you haven't changed the price on, I would venture to guess they they know kind of where you're at now, and I'm willing to bet they really, really appreciate that, and it's instilled a love for the gym and kind of you as the leader of the business in a way that would otherwise not exist. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it for sure. And, you know, we saw um, a local gym out here. Um, you know, we've heard, you know, kind of stories about how they – increase the price on old members and just kind of kept jacking it up because, you know, oh, well, demand's going up, so you're going to pay more. And, you know, we've heard stories of people leaving. Some of those people have come to us, um, and it's just really left a rotten taste in their mouth that kind of they were in it from the beginning, but that that loyalty was just never appreciated. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's in, like, my little bubble, but I feel like there's been a couple gym owners that I've known, and they do, you do the numbers, and, like, if you raise everybody to this price and you lose 10 people, you'll still be making more. Um, right. I, I don't know. It goes back to I really try to just operate off of, you know, what is the mission? What is the ethos of the gym? Like, provide, like, a fun training atmosphere for people to work out, and, like, I'm I'm making money. The rent's paid, and I'm okay. Like, I don't need to, to keep gouging people. Yeah, and you know, reading over your bio on the on the website for CrossFit Federal Hill, it's got a lot of similar language on it to us in terms of you know, yeah, we're a gym, but it's kind of not really about that. Um, and you talked about what the ethos of of your gym is and how that would jeopardize it. So, talk a little bit about what you're just trying to do there, and you know, the difference between somebody walking in your gym versus a generic gym, um, and what what you hope that person experiences there. Yeah, when they come into CrossFit Federal Hill, I, I hope it's like they feel welcome, they feel at home right away, and we definitely have like the quintessential like guy who wants to get to regionals and is dropping weights and annoying me, and we actually just actually built a wall to kind of push those people towards the back a little bit. Um, so <laughs> it, it can it can be build in, a wall. Yeah. <laughs> it can be intimidating, right? Like. But I hope the the members, the community, the coaches like step up and make them feel warm and welcome from the beginning. And then after that, like my vision is to make it about way more than than back squats and, and clean and jerks. Like 
we sit down with people and do goal setting sessions and it's all about trying to help them outside of the gym as well as in the gym um, and not acting like we can uh, cure everything and make their life better but just knowing that they have somebody there who really cares about their health and fitness and um, mm-hmm. who really cares about like oh you can't make it in because you know of your kids like why is it important to make it in like so they see you in this great atmosphere and keep digging into what their why is so um so it kind of transfers over nice into i the like whole that gym. um yeah so th- there's a tons of different things we have in place for that but um really i hope they they come in and they feel warm welcome at home and um and always know they're going to get a good safe workout yeah, it's something you just said that I find just really interesting that I don't hear very often from CrossFit gym owners, to be honest with you. And it's almost the sense of, you know, the higher level members. And I don't want to say are a distraction, but just something you have to be aware of that might prevent business or middle of the road members from really taking to it and being successful out of intimidation. Um, do you have any kind of beliefs or philosophies and how you run the gym and how you manage people that are going for the CrossFit games and are those high-end marketable athletes versus trying to market yourself to that beginner and being a place that everybody feels welcome. Yeah, I mean, you can say it, I guess, till you're red in the face, but even if you're hearing somebody talk about it, it, it is so much cooler to have somebody who's like been to the games and is badass. Like, I know it is, and we don't have anybody at CrossFit Federal that's like that, but um, that's not who pays the bills. Like, that's that's a small percentage of the people at CrossFit Federal Hill and at most CrossFit gyms. You can talk to Bergeron at New England or CJ Martin at Invictus. Like it's it's not the competitors that are paying the bills. So you really have to think about mm-hmm. that. And um, what's happened and what I've had to really look at at CFH is those tend to be the most vocal members. Um, they're they're young. Like they they make a lot of noise. Like they want it this way. They want it that way. And I would come home stressed out like, oh, man, this person and that person like want more space and they weren't able to drop weights because the class was going on. And it's like, yeah. you know, wait a minute. No, that was actually like three people um, out of 300. Like they are just, you know, they have the most, I don't know, tenacity to come up and tell me to my face like this is what they want. But um, I have to mm-hmm. cater to the class. So from day one, like it's been a rule. You can't you can't drop the weights if you're doing your own thing in the back. Um, if the coach is coaching, and I have gotten so frustrated with it, we had a little bit extra space. That's why I put up a wall. So they'll have their own like thousand square foot section now in the back. Um, and the only reason I was able to do that was because I built up. Um, four years of operating like built up enough of a a membership base enough of a cash flow to be able to give them their own space but that was the an evolution of the business it wasn't something like i planned on at all when we opened if that makes sense um yeah i think that's really interesting and i think that's a big takeaway for any uh the gym owners listening that just you know, it sounds like you've managed that very well, uh, but always understanding kind of who you're, who's paying your bills and who the average customer is and, and really making sure you're taking care of them. You know, one other thing that's helped with that is I'm, I try to look at the coaching staff and see like what they would like best. So we have a coach, Eric, who 
he doesn't love like working with the the person who's coming in for general fitness like i knew that but he's charismatic he's a firefighter he could work certain hours and he kept them safe but i knew he didn't love it he loved to compete and like he wants to go to regionals one day so we i gave him um his own website like bought the the domain name it's called demand training and he programs for the competitors at crossfit federal hill and he does it because he likes to and what I make him do is always match up what we're doing with what he's doing, and then he can add on extra. So the competitors are always in the class. Like, they're always doing the same workout as everybody else. But then when they want that extra stuff and they want to lift a little bit more and climb the rope and do some sled pulls, like, they can go do that, and we have a safe program set up for them and a coach they can talk to. Um, but it was using his strengths and then kind of pushing the small minority of the community to follow this because what we had was people following all types of competitive programs that were just, it was just getting a little bit out of control. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. Um, Gio, I, I kind of wanted to switch gears and talk a little bit about marketing strategy. Um, you know, we've talked about one of the most important factors is the experience that you provide people in the gym. Um, outside of that, in terms of other marketing uh, have you seen any success in any sort of paid advertising, push marketing, anything like that? Uh, we did a little bit on Google to kind of boost our name up. Uh, one thing that we've done, which has been pretty trendy now with a lot of CrossFit gyms, have you heard of the new You Challenge that these gyms are running? No. So a couple CrossFit guys, I think Hackenbrook um, out west started this, and basically it's this um, – it's this six-week challenge that they will do all the Facebook marketing for you. And it costs $300, and people will come in and sign up via an interview. So um, okay. you're like, ready, set, go. And we did this with the gym in Columbia, not in Federal Hill. And basically, they push all of this marketing out in Columbia, Maryland for us. And then we look at this little calendar they give us, and there was about 200 people booked for interviews um, to apply for this wow. challenge. Pretty crazy, right? Um all through their Facebook marketing and advertising. So out of those 200, I think like 30 or 40 were actually qualified leads. So they came in, they ended up signing up for this challenge, which was six weeks, and then they get a percentage of everybody who signs up. That's kind of the glitch on their end. Hmm. But you get to keep... Interesting. What, very interesting. What's that called again? The New You Challenge. The New You Challenge. We'll have to look at that. Yeah, look that up. It's, it's really cool. It helped us get a little boost in membership at Columbia and CrossFit Cove. So I took it at CFH and just called it the Fresh Start Challenge and did my own marketing so I didn't have to pay anybody else. And what I noticed from that was um, it helped to make this, um, one, not call it CrossFit, and then two, make it this, this six-week challenge. And what I ended up getting a lot, was, a lot of was um, females, actually, the big um, differentiator in this marketing is it's only geared towards females. So it's a ladies-only challenge, which I think really helps. Yep. Um, so it's six weeks. It's ladies-only. They have to sign up for an interview. So you screen them. You talk about goals. talk about the gym, what you're going to do to help them. And then you give them um, three or four classes a week that they come into um, on their own with their group of people. So now they have this bond they're building. If you have good coaching and good systems set up in place, I think something like that will really work well because it gives them an entry point into the gym. Um, it's not just like, hey, we're running another foundations course or, hey, try a free week and then hopefully you fit in and don't get hurt. Like This is a progression um, and it's for a certain demographic, meaning just women, 
and uh, it worked well in both locations for us. Very cool. So Google AdWords, this new you challenge, anything else that you've done that's been successful or um, do you pretty much just stick to kind of the in-gym, word of mouth, creating a good experience? Yeah, outside of those two things, before that challenge, um, I, I haven't really done a ton um, just trying to create a good experience, letting people know that they should tell their friends, making it very accessible for them to bring them in. Go, oh, you want to bring your friend next Tuesday? For sure. I'll have an extra coach here. He'll make sure they feel at home, help them out, and um, and guide them through that first class. Like, uh, I, I think that, that barrier to entry can be tough for people, and if you make it really accessible to bring their friends in and show them what they're doing, um, it's it's a little thing, but it can go a long way. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, and kind of moving on to our, our final topic, if you you know, were to do it all over again, what would you do differently? I think about that sometimes. My wife traveled a ton before we had a family, and she's always talking about going somewhere else. So, like, could I just start over, like, in another country or Colorado? Or, um, I think I would do a lot of things similarly. I would um, I'd try to build relationships. I would get people together and work out in a park. Um, I'd try to build a community by just helping individuals and letting them know that, I care about them and it's not uh it's not about, you know, trying to get in an extra dollar. It's about really trying to help them and help their fitness. Um if I had to pick out one thing that I would do differently, um, it would probably be when it comes to 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 hiring the coaches and just be a little bit more picky about that. Um I think I am now. Uh we have a great staff at CFH and the Cove, but uh in the beginning you feel kind of desperate, like oh, it's just this guy and it's this perfect situation and I should just make it work. But um, I think I would I would definitely be a little more particular about that. Um, one more thing that I'm actually curious about, Gio, is one of these trends that you're seeing a lot is people dropping the CrossFit as part of the name. Um, where do you land on that? Obviously, you, you've chosen to keep it in yours, but do you have an opinion on that? Where I land on that is I think about it probably uh, daily, if not weekly. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna stick with it for now, uh, but it's definitely something that's on my radar. We just had a gym um, across the way drop it, um, and they kind of transitioned to a totally different model. But um, but yeah, it, it is frustrating at times because people come in uh, or do not come in, from what I hear, and just say, "Yeah, it's CrossFit. I'm not going there." And um, it mm -hmm. helps a lot because we're in the city and we have a lot of nurses and students and doctors that are always coming in and they're they're coming from another great CrossFit gym and they're just going to sign up for one that looks good in their town. And um, I think we do a good mm -hmm. job of projecting that. So uh, I, I like it because I can I can pretty much do whatever I want. We'll, but my fear is not necessarily the intimidation. My fear is can I be um, like a... Uh, a one show pony forever, you know? Um, sure. So do I need to start thinking about other classes, maybe under CrossFit's name, but, um, you know, uh, a boot camp style thing. I know you guys do some kettlebell stuff, some endurance stuff. Um, mm -hmm. so we have some specialty stuff that runs every six weeks, but, um, just thinking bigger picture, you know, do I want to open up other spots and, uh, and, and start branding behind, uh, another name and, and not just doing one thing from a business perspective. Yeah, I think that's smart. I'd be uh, kind of curious to, to to follow where your intuition takes you and, and what you decide to do on that. But um, it sounds like <laughs> if you're thinking about it daily, that 
it's probably among your list of stressors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And I mean, to give you guys a little shout out, I've always um, admired you going against the grain. And um, I, I definitely see what you're up to and uh, enjoy the podcast that you guys are running because um, I think it's great that you're bringing the topic to light so much. Um, it, uh, it definitely helps me uh, process some things and, and kind of uh, see where, uh, where would be best for us to go. Well, on that note, um, why don't you take a minute here to kind of close it out and talk a little bit about uh, your podcast, the Fourth Pole Podcast, um, as well as anything that you want to speak about that you haven't already as far as um, businesses and gyms that you own. Awesome. Thank you. Um, it, it's been a blast. I think I talked a ton about um, the, the gyms and getting them open. Um, another project for me is the Fourth Pole Podcast. Um, similar to you guys, just something I kind of do out of passion and love. It's a little more... Um, uh, for the athlete, uh, we talk a little bit about mm-hmm. coaching, but uh, we try to have some high-level athletes on the show in the CrossFit field, in the weightlifting field, in the endurance field, and um, just learn from them. Um, like you guys have uh, gym owners on, we uh, we have athletes and try to uh, extract whatever value we can out of them, so um, people can learn and and grow uh, from their expertise. Awesome. Well, Gio, listen, really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Um, I think it was personally one of my favorite episodes, just being able to hear um, your different strategies and things that you've learned. And that, that gym field trip to me is a really inspiring idea. Yeah, I love that idea. Um, so, you know, we'd love to have you on again, kind of just like a, I don't know, maybe like a quarterly thing where we get on and talk shop and other people running gyms can listen to it because I think you have a, a ton to offer. Thank you. Hell yeah. I'd really, I really enjoy that. I, I had a blast doing this, guys. Great. Well, best of luck to you. Um, Business of Lifting Weights listeners, make sure to check out the Fourth Pole podcast. Um, he's got some really cool guests on there. Chad Vaughn, Sam Dancer, um, Dave Durante, and Chris Spaler were a couple um, that I checked out. Uh, really cool episodes. So uh, make sure you give them a listen. And if you happen to be in the Maryland area, Uh, go ahead and check out his gym as well. So uh, we'll talk to you next time, Gio. Thanks a lot for being on. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it.